what God brought to mind was sometimes morning like, mornings like this are just a little awkward, right? So, um, so I'm just going to preach, and then we're going to vote, and it seems kind of transactional. And my hope and my prayer this morning is that it's not that. My hope is that together we can enter into God's presence and hear from Him. And as a result of spending time with Him, we would leave this place changed. That somehow, some way, we'd be a little bit different. We'd be a little bit more like Him, and we'd be a little better prepared to serve Him however He decides to use us throughout the course of this next week. So um, this morning, the, the Scripture um, we're going to kind of spend our most time in is from Matthew 22. I don't know if you have a Bible. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you have a phone, open your Bible app. Um, if you don't have anything, you don't have a phone, that's pretty crazy today. But if you don't have a phone, you can't open it in there. It's going to be on the screen for you. That, that's fine too. Um, and Matthew 22, this is a story. Um, Matthew writes about Jesus and a little conversation he had with some, some leaders in Israel. We're going to start in verse 34. And it goes something like this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's pray. Father, um, we just humbly this morning come before you. We have really on our own nothing to offer you. We, I guess in the, the truest sense of the words, we, we are worthless on our own. And so, we don't have anything to offer. We don't have anything to give in exchange for this, but we are just trusting on your grace and your mercy and your love for us. And we're just going to ask this morning in Jesus' name, on, in his name, because of what he is able to accomplish, what he has done for us, we come to you and just would ask that you'd be with us. That your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us. On me, yes, but on all of us. I pray that my words would be your words and that together, Father, as we, as we look at your word, we would be changed by it. We'd be made more into your likeness, Jesus. As we mentioned earlier, we could leave here better equipped and prepared to serve you in this world. So Lord, this time is yours. We are yours. We pray that we could stay on your agenda and running towards you. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout history, the church has attempted to institute traditions that would focus the followers of Jesus on what was most important. Perhaps there's no other season where this is, is more prevalent than Christmas. At Christmas time, we have lots and lots of traditions. From trees and ornaments to gifts, candy canes, and Christmas Eve services, for the believer, they can all serve as reminders of what we we truly celebrate during the Christmas season. However, too often these wonderful traditions are corrupted rather than serving as reminders of the hope of Jesus. 
They distract us and draw our attention from Christ to ourselves. Gifts become about what we're going to get. Services are about nostalgia and how we feel when we see the candles lit and sing familiar songs. As I prepared for this morning, I prayed about what God wanted me to speak to you about. I struggled with it for a bit of time, not hearing a whole lot from the Lord. And then he reminded me of an expression that we use in our house pretty regularly. And it's probably familiar to most of you, but the expression is, get your big rocks in first. Whenever we're confronted with a situation in the midst of our family where we have competing priorities, one of us will inevitably say, get your big rocks in first. Everybody's wondering why I have this rock here this morning. Some people thought I was going to throw it at someone, and perhaps if you fall asleep, I may. But it's to help us kind of think about that. The whole idea of that saying is it goes along with an illustration about priorities. You've probably heard it. You know, the person offering the illustration will have like a glass container of some sort. And they'll put all the small rocks in, and then they'll put some medium rocks in, and then they'll try to put the big rocks in, and the big rocks won't quite fit, right? So they take everything out, and they do it in the reverse order, and they put the big rocks in first. And then they put the medium ones in, and they kind of settle in around the the larger ones, and then they put the smallest ones in, and they settle in around everything else. And amazingly, the same number of rocks fit this time. When you put your big ones in first, everything fits. It's true with the illustration, with the rocks and the jar or the container, but it's also true of our lives. When we take on the most important priorities first, the other lesser priorities in life just seem to fall into place. But when we try the opposite, we never seem to get everything done. As I prayed and considered why this illustration came to mind, God reminded me that so often we confuse our spiritual priorities. Regularly, we invert God-given, divinely designed cycle of concern, placing ourselves at the center of our universe and everything else at the periphery. We become the most important thing. And this happens for a variety of reasons, and absolutely none of which are healthy or helpful for us as believers in Jesus Christ. In Matthew 22, Jesus gives us instruction on God's design cycle of care. And his teaching goes against the grain of our natural inclinations and every bit of training that the world offers us. Think about it. When you take a flight, what do they tell you? You get on the plane, and you're sitting in your seat, and they go through those pre-flight instructions, and the one thing that they tell you, if we lose cabin pressure and those scary oxygen masks come out of the ceiling, who are you supposed to put the oxygen mask on first? You. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not trying to like... <laughs> but it teaches us that we need to take care of who first? Us. If someone accuses me wrongly, you know, of doing something wrong or, in, or improper, they, they, they claim I, I, I said something or I did something that I didn't do. My initial gut reaction is self-defense or retaliation. And I think you could probably say the same. Because if I'm not careful, what is at the center of my universe is me. I am most important. 
Our world conditions us to place ourselves first. And our natural sinful inclinations are also for self. This too often leads us to a dangerous conclusion. We become the center of our world and the object that is most important in our lives. But Matthew 22, Jesus tells us we must, retain, we, we must re- retrain our hearts and our minds and our souls and generally reorient our entire person to operate differently in regard to the priorities that drive our lives. This is a significant challenge given the pressure that the world puts on us. I understand that. Jesus understood that. Because it lives by a completely different mantra. But when implemented, this leads to a lifestyle that more closely resembles that of Christ and honors God through faithful, obedient living. Jesus, when asked, what what is the greatest commandment in the law? Responded to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. He's commanding, commanding us, beckoning us to put God first. And not just to give Him our first or primary energy or focus. But note, note that He says to love Him with our heart, our soul, and our mind. The, the idea behind these, these three words is, is not just giving Him the first, but it's to give Him everything. Uh, the, 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 what He's trying to convey in, in like Jewish thought is that the, the mind, the heart, the soul, that your strength in some version, in some tra- or some, um, one, one part where He says this in another location, is it, it's to give Him everything. Not just part everything. It's not just giving Him the majority of our love, or even the best part of it, but all of it. Here's the thing. God doesn't want just part of you. He doesn't want just your Sunday morning. He doesn't want want just prayer time before a meal. He, He doesn't He doesn't want you just in a Bible study once a week. He wants all of you. He wants every bit of you. He wants the pretty parts and He wants the ugly parts. He wants everything. If we're going to successfully reorient our lives and live more faithfully for Him, we must, by the power of His Spirit, begin to strive to give Him everything. It's kind of an all-or-nothing deal. There was never much in between with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever picked up on that as you've read through the Gospels, but it just that's just not how it works. When I married Dottie, I made certain commitments to her. In fact, I... I, um, I, I'm going to read you the commitment that I made to her almost 16 years ago. Um, it was the greatest day of my life. She is the best thing that ever happened to me. And on that day, I remember my father-in-law married us. 
Um, my father-in-law, by the way, was an FBI agent and then became a pastor, so meeting him for the first time was incredibly intimidating. But I remember um, that day, he, he and uh, another pastor married us, and I was standing before him, and he, he looked at me in the eye, and he said, John, and it, that, this is like weighty no matter who asked you, but when it's your father-in-law, the man who's giving you his daughter, it takes on just a, another level uh, of weight, I, th- I think. And, and he looked at me, and he said, John, and I said, yes. He said, do you take Dottie as your wife, as your own flesh, to love her even as Christ loves the church? to protect her and care for her for the rest of your lives. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, then turn to her and make to her this profession of your faith. I, John, according to the Word of God, leave my father and my mother, who ironically are here today, and I join myself to you to be a husband to you From this moment forward, we shall be one. When I spoke those words, I promised to love Dottie as Christ loved the church. This is not to be overlooked or misunderstood. To love someone this way is to love them with everything you have. To love them with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. To leave nothing on the table. Jesus died for the church. And I committed that day to love my wife as my Savior has loved me. This all in love is how God says we are to love Him in Matthew 22. But there's a problem. If we give all that we have to loving God, how do we fulfill that second commandment Jesus talked about? If we exhaust ourselves on loving God, where do we find the love for others? How do I love God like this and also love Dottie? My girls. You. Let alone those people that I don't want to love in life. Who make it difficult to be loved. Those people who hurt me and malign me and take an enormous amount of energy to be in relationship with. How do we do that? I think Ephesians 3 gives us some instruction on this. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays for the church. And in that prayer, he specifically prays that they would have power together with all the saints. They get this. Grasp how long and wide and deep and high is the the Father's love for them. Essentially, he prays that together they would know the fullness of God's love. In Matthew 22, Jesus teaches that We are to love God with everything we have, all of ourselves. And in Ephesians 3, Paul is praying that the Ephesians would would now know the fullness of all of God's love for them. Both sound impossible to me. How do I know all that God has for me? All the love that He has for me? In this human form, it's, it's impossible. Just as impossible as loving our neighbor when we've already given all of our love to our God. But near the end of that prayer in Ephesians 3, Paul explains how all of this can happen when he concludes by praying, now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, 
according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we have our priorities straight, we are positioned for God to do the impossible in us and through us. He gives us what we can't procure on our own so that we can fulfill His calling and command. When we love God with everything that we have, He gives us what we need to love others. When we look to ourselves for what we need, we fail. We fail miserably. That's living with a self-centered focus. So what we need to do is reorient and place our God first. When we do, it doesn't matter what we can accomplish. What truly matters is what He can accomplish. And Paul was clear in Ephesians 3 that he is able to accomplish significantly more than we could ever ask or even imagine. Think about that for a second. More than you can imagine. George Mueller started in England during the 19th century. He was known for his ardent faith and powerful prayer life. He fully relied on God for all the needs he and his orphanage had. In fact, he didn't fundraise. He never asked for a single dollar. All he did was prayed. And God faithfully provided for all of his needs. There may be no better example of his life and his life of prayer and faith than this one that comes straight out of his ministry. It vividly demonstrates his lifestyle of prayer and dependence on God. One morning, all the plates in the orphanage and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder, which is like the little cabinet that would hold the food. We don't have larders anymore, I don't think. No money to buy food either. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal when Mueller said, Children, you know, we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. With no evidence that God was going to do that. Then there was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it for you. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker and no sooner had he left when there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. On one occasion, this giant of the faith who evidenced the power of God in everything that he did commented on the importance of loving God first and with everything one has when he noted this, According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this, Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all 
this, to have your souls truly happy in God Himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. During the last few hours of his wife's life, Mueller made several pronouncements, several statements that summed up the driving passion and focus of his own life. He said these things. First, I am myself poor, a poor and worthless sinner. Second, I have been saved by the blood of Christ. Third, I do not live in sin. Fourth, God is sovereign over life and death. And if it is good for her, meaning Mary, his wife, and for me, she will be restored again. But if not, she won't. I think this is fifth. My heart is at rest, regardless of the outcome. And then he said this most amazing statement. Facing his wife's death, he said, I am satisfied with God. In facing the death of the love of his life, Mueller was okay, regardless of the outcome. Because what he loved more than his own wife was his great and mighty God. Mueller was able to love his wife and love 10,000 orphans, over 10,000 orphans, that he had under his care during the decades of his ministry. And it was only because he loved God more than anything else. And because he was satisfied with God, he was equipped by God with everything he needed. Everything he needed to love others. This Christmas, we must wrestle with the question, what do we love most? On the first Christmas, after Jesus had been born, he was visited by shepherds and magi. And after traveling a long, long way, the Magi finally arrived in the land where the king of the Jews was to be born. They had followed a star. It's this amazing story. People who didn't even love God were called by God to come. They followed this star, these Magi. And finally, it led them to their destination. In Matthew 2, we, we find this record of, of what happened. It said, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen, it rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When, this, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This Christmas, as we make Jesus our priority, as we make Him our big rock, our passion, our greatest desire, let us find that we have no other response to His love than to do exactly what those magi did 2,000 years ago. Let us bring Him gifts. Let us honor Him with gifts. But more importantly, let us love Him and let us honor Him with our worship. Let us live in such a way that His importance to us is reflected in everything that we do. 
Let us honor him by gifting him ourselves and loving others more than we love our own person. If we do this, what we will find is that not only will others' needs be cared for as we love them, but ours will also as they love us. When each of us loves God most and others second and cares nothing for our own person, what we find is that God does immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine as others are doing the same for others' needs. And that that cycle of care that God has designed works. It works. No one is left wanting. No one is left in need. Because everyone is not looking out for themselves. But they are loving God. And as a result of loving God, they can do nothing other than love other people. Because the gift of Christmas, Jesus Christ is central, all-consuming, and positioned to do what only He can do. Jesus completely provides for everything we need. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, temporally, and eternally. Let's be the church and unleash the power of God this Christmas by getting our big rock in first so that He can get the glory He deserves and do through us immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. Let's make Jesus our priority this Christmas. Will you pray with me? Father, we, um, we thank you today for who you are and what you do. And um, we are incredibly grateful for the fact that you loved us. I was reminded this morning as we were talking with the youth, just the, the mystery and the beauty and the seeming um, backward nature of our first century's Christmas. You came to a carpenter and a woman that no one had ever heard of. And through them, you brought the Savior, your own Son, into the world. And then, following that, you brought shepherds, dirty, rough-necked shepherds, to honor and to tell who he is, about who he is. And, and you brought these magi who, who beforehand wanted nothing to do with you, who didn't know who you were from a land far, far away in every respect. And they came and followed a star because you led them. And, and when they were encountered with the Christ, they not only gave gifts, but they fell on their faces in humility before you, Jesus. It's our prayer this morning that you would do the same or a similar work in our lives today. That as we walk out this Christmas, that we would do it with a sense of awe and wonder. That that you would be, be filling us so that we could love you with our whole heart soul, mind, and strength, just as Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the Magi did that first Christmas. 
and we would be equipped by Your power to love others, those here and those who are still afar. So that Your name would be glorified first and foremost. And so following that, we could be healed and filled and provided for. So Lord, we this Christmas give You ourselves. We are Yours. Please, Father, we would pray humbly today that You would fill us so that as we leave this place, we could live for You. We could love You with everything we are and love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as the, uh, we were talking in, in youth group this morning, uh, we're going to sing one more song, I believe. Um, but those magi, they came, and uh, I won't act it out like I did with the youth this morning. Um, uh, but Luke probably wants me to do it. But um, when those magi came, they presented Jesus with those three types of gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But then they went on to worship him, and the actual type of worship they offered was that they didn't just get down on their knees, or they didn't just bow their heads, or raise their hand. They actually got down and, and prostrated themselves in front of Jesus. They were head to the ground, belly button to the ground, feet to the ground, all laid out in front of him. And I said to the youth, why do you think they did that? Like, what's the point of that? I said, what could, what could Jesus or you know, God have done to them at point? And one of the youth says, well, he could have stepped on them. And I said, exactly. They were putting themselves in full submission before Jesus. They were saying, it doesn't matter what we want. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how much money we have or how much training we have, how much knowledge we have, how much respect we have. We lay it all at your feet because in comparison to you, Jesus, we are nothing. I think hopefully that is instructive to us in our 21st century worship. We don't just come here to sing songs. Like us, We do sing songs, but there's way more to it than singing songs. We are here to do what those magi did. And maybe you're not going to lay yourselves out. That's okay. We're not asking you to do that this morning. Some of us may have trouble getting up. <laughs> but we are asking you to, at least in spirit, prostrate yourself before Jesus this morning because He is everything and in comparison, we are nothing. Yet, He still wants us and He still loves us. And for that, He deserves every bit of worship we can offer Him today. So will you please rise and will you close with us today as we continue to worship our God, our King, the baby in the manger, Jesus Christ.